You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Marvelous, wonderful, infinite God, author of all that is good. Faithful provider and giver of life, source of all power and love. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, refuge of strength to the end. Righteous Redeemer and mighty to save, He's the anchor of hope for the souls of Gracious, compassionate, merciful God, radiant, holy delight, beautiful Father, victorious Son, source of unchangeable light. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, refuge of strength to thee. Redeemer and mighty to save, He's the anchor of hope for the souls of men. You are light and dark, you are healing for the broken heart, you are hope, you are Lord, you are life, you are love that Unwavering God, shepherd who comes for the lost, rock of salvation, remarkable love, Savior who died on the cross. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, refuge of strength to the end, righteous redeemer. He's the anchor of hope for the souls Oh, he's the anchor of hope for the souls Oh, he's the anchor of hope for the souls of men That was Ellie Holcomb with Anchor of Hope here on Faith FM. We are into our second quiz of the day because the first one has already been answered. So, Lawson, what do you got for us there? Other women and I brought spices so that we might anoint Jesus' body. There you go. There you go. If you know who that was, then uh, I'll just write this down... Uh, <laughs> fucking right. Can't spell. Um, give us a call, 1-800-324-843, if you know who it is, um, and you can win a prize completely for free. All right. There you go. All right. What's the deal? The deal is that futurism and preterism are heresies. 
Okay. Just putting that out there. Yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly <laughs> agree with you. Uh, we're into our uh, 20 million movement Bible study this morning where we're studying the book of Daniel. Uh, of course, we're doing an introductory study to the book of Daniel, sort of a bit of a broad overview look at uh, you know some of the major themes uh, running through the book of Daniel. And uh, yesterday we looked at... Uh, the theme of the book of Daniel is the great controversy. Mm. We noted that theme, that's the theme. We noted that the central figure of the book of Daniel is Jesus Christ. And this is actually really interesting for an Old Testament book. Because when you think about Old Testament books, yes, the theme, the underlying theme is Jesus Christ. And the very visible theme is God. <clears throat> Daniel, unlike any other Old Testament book, really, really does focus on the second member of the Godhead, mm. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mm. Um, you know, you have the single greatest messianic prophecy found anywhere in the Bible. In the book of Daniel, mm. you've got uh, you've got um, the only image of the pre-incarnate, glorified Jesus Christ mm. anywhere in the Bible. Um, you, you've got you've got a situation where, on several occasions, Jesus Christ Himself personally turns up here on earth mm. um, and, you know, interacts with human beings. You know, this is, this is you know, Jesus is implied throughout the Old Testament. But when you come to the book of Daniel, Jesus is just front and center. Yeah. Uh, that's amazing. So we looked at the theme. We uh, What else we looked at? We looked at the difference between uh, classical prophecy and apocalyptic prophecy. Um, and some of the we had a bit of a discussion about the, some of the differences between those two different forms of prophecy. We also um, well we were about to start yesterday a discussion about historicism and different concepts of how one reads prophecy. Mm-hmm. So that's where I thought we might pick up today. Uh, we had a question uh, late in the year last year in relationship the question of the day that came through in relationship to. Um, historicism versus preterism versus futurism, and the different uh, your three basic different ways of interpreting apocalyptic end time prophecy. And so I'm just going to say preterism and futurism are just wrong. (laughs) (laughs) They just don't line up with what the Bible says. Mm. Um, And uh, if you'd like to have that discussion with me, one eight hundred three two four eight four three is the number to call. Uh, But we didn't. We need to look at some reasonable. Answers as to why that is the case. Mm. So a bit of a uh, a lot of people are probably like, what is he talking about? You know, preterism, historicism, futurism. Historicism basically goes like this: Bible prophecy, apocalyptic prophecy, has been fulfilled in the past, is being fulfilled in the present, will be fulfilled in the future. Mm. That's the historical approach to interpreting Bible prophecy. And for the first 1,500 years of uh, biblical interpretation, that was the approach that was taken by Bible expositors the world over. Hmm. However, in the 16th century, you have a very interesting event that takes place. It was called the Great Protestant Reformation. Hmm. 
As a result of the Great Protestant Reformation, you have the rise of these other alternative forms of interpreting prophecy. And it's worth our while to spend a little bit of time to work our way through the history of how these interpretations actually came about before we look at, you know, from the Bible, why they are absolutely fundamentally flawed. And so if you go to um, uh, the Great Protestant Reformation, you've got a lot of Protestant reformers and their students who are just, you know, the, the the Protestant Reformation was built around the concept of the Bible alone. Mm. Your typical priest at the time within the Christian church, by the time they were fully educated, they'd done their full course of study, uh, and they had become a priest, had never seen a Bible. Yeah. This was Martin much Luther's less, story. Much less read a Bible. Mm. Um, they had read, you know, the stories of the saints and the traditions of the church, and there was just a mountain of literature out there that they would read and they would study. But the Bible had been obscured and hidden over. In fact, the Catholic Church had done pretty much as much as it possibly could to get rid of the Bible. Mm. Uh, it had locked it up in a dead language, i.e. Latin, so you had to learn Latin to be able to read the Bible to begin with. It had banned the reading, the, the learning of the Greek language um, outside of Greece because that would give you access to the New Testament in its original language. Mm. It had pronounced the death penalty on anyone who was caught owning a Bible. Mm. Um, and so the, 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 the basically been about a 1,000-year war against the Bible, to get rid of the Bible and to replace it with anything but the Bible. Martin Luther turned that around. He discovered a Bible that was chained to a um, ch- chained up in a church. He was able to read that. Uh, when he read that, it transformed, it changed his life. Um, he became a new person and he suddenly realized that you know he was the actual source of life. Mm. He was the source of Jesus Christ, that it wasn't in the traditions and the histories and the church fathers and everybody else. It was actually in the Bible. And so he made the Bible front and center. He said, as a, as a Christian church, we need to go by the Bible alone because this is the inspired word of God and everything else is uh, good where it is good, but may or may not be good because it you know has that human factor in it and everything that we do as human beings has a human factor. Mm. That resulted in... Bible students, like colleges, Protestant universities, where both the staff and the students focused their attention on reading and studying and understanding the Bible. In that process, the apocalyptic prophecies were unavoidable. And of course, as they read through those apocalyptic prophecies, like you know Daniel chapter seven, Revelation chapter thirteen, etc., they noted that the Bible very, very clearly identified a movement where the scriptures would be repressed, a movement where tradition would be exalted above scripture, and that this would be antichrist. Mm. Um, it was so clear, it was so easy to understand, it was unassailable, and it was universal. You had lots of different Protestant churches that rose. But they all had a number of things that they held in common. Salvation by grace alone, um, the scriptures alone, and a historical interpretation of Bible prophecy. Mm. 
across the board. The, the Catholic Church really struggled with how to respond to this because, you know, they had largely ignored the apocalyptic prophecies or said, you know, they're too hard to understand, we don't need to be studying those. Those people who had studied them had uh, taken a historicist view and so the Protestants were just like, well, we're just building on the historicist view of the Church Fathers and other interpreters of, uh, of prophecy within your church that have gone before us. Mm. And, um, and, and, and so as a result, it left the Catholic Church in a very, very bad position. It's because like, okay, what do we do with this? How do we, you know, we've been, we've been pointed out here as doing the wrong thing. Do we stand up and admit we have done the wrong thing and that our church needs reformation? that we need to actually change our church? Or do we maintain our church as it is and find an alternative? Mm. And it was the effort to find that alternative that resulted in futurism and preterism. What took place was your, your great reformation of the 16th century begins in about 1517. Uh, in about 1536, you have the organization of a new order called the Society of Jesus, or the Jesuit Order. More about them in a moment. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. So I'm doing a, a lot of talking here, Lawson. I do apologise. I'm not trying to hog the microphone. It's just, oh, no, we've hit a historical no, section and I'm just... Oh, yes. History. <laughs> Loving it. Okay, so you have uh, this new organisation mm. that is formed, um, the Jesuit Order. Our current Pope Francis is a Jesuit. He's the first Jesuit Pope that our world has ever seen. It was initially formed as a parachurch paramilitary order um, to bring about what was called the Counter-Reformation. So they spearheaded the Counter-Reformation. So you've got you know, Martin Luther and all of the Protestants who are saying the Bible alone. You've got the Catholic Church fighting back against that. So this is the counter-attack against the Reformation. They have to, one of their big tasks after the Council of Trent is that they have to come up with an alternative view on eschatology or end-time events or apocalyptic or, you know, end-time prophecy that does not include them Mm. and does not point them out as being the bad guys for replacing the Bible with tradition. So, and of course, in the Council of Trent, they've established that, yes, we believe that tradition is equal to Scripture. That Scripture, basically, Scripture just, just continues to be written. You know, it doesn't stop with the apostles. Uh, it continues right through to the current popes, etc. It's mm. uh, the basic idea behind it. And that that inspiration has been given to the church rather than to the prophets. So because they're defending that position, they now need to deal with the next big issue, and that is that they have been very, very clearly pointed out in, in you know, the Bible in places like uh, Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel chapter 8 and Revelation chapter 13, Daniel chapter 11, uh, Revelation chapter 17, etc. These are large, important chapters with very, very clear lists of identifying characteristics that are pointing these guys out and saying, look, you guys have, uh, have replaced the Bible with tradition and you need to do something about this. Um, and so rather than actually changing their church, they're like, well, it's actually easier to change the interpretation of Bible prophecy than to change the church. Mm. And so they entrusted this work to the Jesuit order, and the Jesuit order came up with two different theories. One of them basically said uh, preterism. It said that everything in apocalyptic prophecy was fulfilled during the reign 
of the Roman Empire. Nothing in apocalyptic or end-time prophecy extends past the Roman Empire. And all of these books of Daniel and Revelation and Matthew 24, etc., were all written to apply to the Roman Empire. And when the Bible talks about the coming of the kingdom of God, that's the coming of the kingdom of God to your heart. That's not, it's not a literal, you know, the, 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 the literal second coming that is spoken of in Scripture is allegorical. Um, and the kingdom of God is within you. Mm. It's in your heart. And therefore, all of these prophecies have been fulfilled. And basically, um, what um, Francisco, uh, no, uh, Louis de Alcazar, sorry, we're saying, was saying, uh, was, was coming up with here was that you do not need to worry about these apocalyptic prophecies. You do not need to study them. They are no longer relevant to us in any major way. They certainly don't point out you know, any modern organization such as ourselves. Uh, these all apply to the ancient past, so you can put them back on the shelf and get back to studying the Gospels, and let's talk about Jesus, and let's not talk about prophecy. Mm. That was Louis de Alcazar's tactic he published his thesis uh, in about 1509 sorry 1609 and it um it received widespread study but very very little uptake yeah A- as it would like yeah who would cop that and and in effect what it does is it reduces the inspiration of scripture yeah and it's basically saying, you know, Scripture is a response. Scripture was written by religious people who were responding to the political and social environment that they found themselves in, mm. rather than being written by inspiration of God. Mm. Um, it very, very much downplays the whole concept of inspiration of Scripture. Which they wanted, of course. Oh, yeah, of course. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, because then it brings it down to the same level as the tradition. Um, it's had a bit of a resurgence lately. Mm. It's been interesting the last 10 years or so. It started to make a bit of a comeback, and I'm kind of surprised at that. I've been bumping into people who have been sort of uh, heading down this particular preteristic path, and I'm like, wow, I haven't seen that around for a long time because the Pentecostal church has um, championed the cause of futurism so powerfully mm. that futurism has dominated, you know, particularly through the 90s and early 2000s, futurism was really dominating the mm. Christian world. So futurism actually came out a little bit before um, the Jesuit priest Louis de Alcazar came out with preterism. So you can go back to about 1592, thereabouts, when a Jesuit priest by the name of Francisco Ribera puts out a thesis. And in his thesis, basically what he is saying is that all of the apocalyptic prophecies, no, they weren't fulfilled in the distant past, that is ridiculous. And to say that there's no literal second coming of Jesus Christ, how do you, you, you're going to have a lot of verses in the Bible that you're going to have to explain away to deal with that. So that's ridiculous. Mm. However, all of the prophecies in the Bible are fulfilled in the distant future. All of the apocalyptic prophecies are fulfilled within a seven year reign of the Antichrist at the very end of time. And so once again, we don't need to worry about it now. We only need to worry about it, you know when that seven-year period begins. Mm. Um, you had to do some pretty serious theological gymnastics yeah, to actually pull that one off. Mm. And it was given considerable less credibility 
than the preteristic view, which is why the preteristic view did come out. And both theories were sponsored by that same church because both theories took the heat off that church. Like, mm. oh, you know, it's in the all fulfilled in the distant past. It's not us. It's all fulfilled in the distant future. It's not us. Mm. Basically, it's not us. Yeah. That was the uh, the, the concept behind <laughs> the it. The slogan. Yeah. It's not us. And uh, futurism took an interesting course as it came down through history. It's interesting to see how it actually crossed over into um, you know, modern-day charismatic churches. It was refined by a British Jesuit by the name of Robert Bellamine. Mm. He is considered to be the greatest Jesuit of all time. The reason that he is considered to be the greatest Jesuit of all time is because he is seen as the Jesuit who changed the theology of Protestantism. Mm. Uh, the concept of Protestantism is a Protestant is a protester, a protester against Rome. Mm. And so Robert Bellarmine is credited with changing the theology of Protestantism so that they were no longer protesting against Rome. And so they went from being Protestants to evangelicals. Mm. And that's why we don't really use the word Protestant anymore because nobody's really protesting against anything that Rome teaches. Mm. Um, interesting history. So that's Bellarmine. He comes along, he refines it. Um, then you have a uh, another Jesuit priest who comes along, and he adds a two-stage second coming. So he's got uh, you know one stage of the second coming that takes place at the beginning of the seven-year period, and another one at the end mm. of the seven-year period. That later was developed by Protestants into um, the secret rapture at the beginning, second coming at the end. But the secret rapture was not invented by uh, the Jesuits. Mm-hmm. It was the one part of it, the one significant part of um, charismatic eschatology that was not invented by the Jesuits. Uh, this particular theory was never given serious credibility until you come down to the um, mid to early 1800s. Mm. So basically collected dust for several hundred years. It was picked up by two individuals. Um, John Nelson Darby, who founded a cult called the, uh, we call them the Exclusive Brethren today. There's also another church called the Christian Brethren, who are not a cult. Uh, They're an evangelical Christian church. Um, He picked it up and began to preach it. And a fellow by the name of Edward Irving, who was an Anglican, began to preach the same um, concepts. Edward Irving had a young girl in his congregation who... um, dabbled in spiritualism, demon possession, um, a whole bunch of, you know, really out there stuff. She had a dream one night in which she saw the first stage of the two-stage second coming as being the secret rapture. And that's the origin of the secret rapture. That's why you don't find the secret rapture anywhere in the Bible. If anyone can find a verse anywhere in the Bible that describes the return of Jesus as um, invisible, silent, um then uh, please call me up and share that verse with me. It's one of those missing verses from the Bible. And uh, so, yeah, that's the origin of how that came in. Some of the other origins we'll be back with in just a moment. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, enlightened, accessible, hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of 
Scott Wesley Brown with Immortal Invisible. Here on Faith FM, Lawson, give us another clue for our quiz. Okay, who am I? Jesus said to me, woman, why are you crying? Who did Jesus say that to? If you know the answer, and you should know the answer, give us a call, 1-800-324-843, or text us on 0491-064-669. Mm. Okay, so we're talking about futurism, preterism, and historicism, and we're going through the history of it. Mm. You are all probably wondering, how did futurism take such a hold of um, evangelical churches today, particularly charismatic evangelical churches? Mm. It goes back to John Nelson Darby, who founds a cult called the Exclusive Brethren. They worship uh, some guy called the Anointed Vessel or something or other. I can't remember the exact details of it. Um, out of that cult grows a uh, evangelical call, church called uh, the Christian Brethren. So let's not confuse those two together. John Nelson Darby picks this theory up, and his movement is a small movement. It's still a small movement. It's not a big movement here in Australia. You won't find a lot of uh, uh, Brethren churches around the place, but they do exist. Uh, but he does have a very, very influential convert. Now, of course, he's he, he's he's preaching in England. He has uh, um, contact with an American agnostic lawyer mm. by the name of Cyrus Schofield. Mm. And Cyrus Schofield has a conversion experience. He gives his heart to Jesus Christ, 
and he wants to do something to have a massive impact for Jesus Christ on the world. And so he uh, he he puts together basically one of the early versions of a study Bible, takes a King James Version Bible, writes a commentary, and places the commentary notes in that study Bible. Mm. And within those commentary notes, of course, he places all of the principles of futurism in this seven-year reign of the Antichrist at the very end of time. Um, This Bible is published in 1890. It takes the United States by storm. And over a short period of years, it completely changes the theology of Protestantism in the United States. Mm. And so futurism has always been big in the United States. I think uh, 56% of the population of the US on uh, one recent poll believe in the secret rapture. Mm. Uh, so they actually believe a doctrine. You have 50% of the population of the US that believes a doctrine that there's not a single Bible Bible verse for. Um, and once again, if you've got a Bible verse for it, you know what our number is, 1-800-324-843. I want you to produce a Bible, that says the retu- a Bible verse that says the return of Jesus will be secret, silent, and invisible. That's the verse that I would like you to produce. Um, if you can produce that verse, then you know what our number is, 1-800-324-843. Uh, but this is why it has such a big impact. You know, Tim LaHaye, of course, in the 1990s, um, writes his Left Behind series, which is a series of novels in which he um, embeds this whole, you know, the, the whole series of novels is just is just built around this seven-year tribulation concept that Francisco Ribera had come up with so long, you know, so, so, so long ago, uh, so many years before. Hmm. And um, and so as a result of that, you know, it it really does take a uh, a grip on America. Never had that same grip here, here in Australia, thankfully. Um, but uh, huge, you know, it, it's it it affects, it dictates American foreign policy. Yeah, futurism, the futuristic uh, Jesuit view of understanding Bible prophecy dictates American foreign mm. policy, particularly in their relationship with Israel. Well, even here in Australia, well, like in terms of Christian circles, like it's a huge thing. Oh, it is. It's huge. It's massive. Um, it, it is massive. And it's just, oh, it's so interesting. Like when you when you have experiences with people like that. I just remember the day where I really saw that it was like such a big thing, especially for me being a Christian, like coming into the Adventist church from a secular perspective, having no idea about the secret rapture, then studying the Bible and being like, oh, yeah, okay, so, like, Jesus is returning and having immediately that historicist view. The first time where I really saw it is a friend of mine who was, a like, a evangelical Christian, you know, shared this post on Facebook and I read it, and it was basically a... Uh, like a thread on Facebook. No, so it was on Facebook and it was just this thread of like, who do you think the Antichrist is? And it's just all these guesses and it all revolved around the seven-year period. Like, okay, who's going to come out in the seven-year period? And I'm like, man, what are these guys on about? This is the most gnarly thing. Like, do you really not know? And then a lot of people are suggesting like, oh, well, what the Bible says about the Antichrist, you know, it sounds like the Roman church. And I'm like, 
Well, yeah, because because it, it is like because that's what the Bible says. But then they're like, oh, but it might doesn't not mean be. That, doesn't but, mean that Roman Catholics are antichrist. Or yeah, but they're, they're just, just like, like everybody else. We need to make that clear. Oh, we yeah need to make that super clear. But I think the the thing that I really saw is just that there was so much confusion surrounding it that to them yeah, and people just don't even know. Like they just and and they and they have to accept a position of not knowing. That's yeah. that's the crazy. That's thing. a scary it's thing. Like, like the 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 information that the Bible ultimately where you're being led by God if you follow that logical train is basically it's like God has put me in a position where I am not to know about this uh-huh. even though the Bible is so clear about the consequences of following the Antichrist of like being deceived by the Antichrist and whatnot and then it's like is God really gonna stand there and be like oh um and you're not allowed to know because no one could possibly know okay so let's read one verse of uh, scripture and then move on because you only need to read one verse and the whole uh, futurism system collapses mm. now we could read a lot yeah. maybe we'll, we will read a lot mate we'll just read one to start with second Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 I'm getting there uh, let me let me let me read it for you because um, you're too slow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. The Bible says, "But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise." That's the atmospheric heavens. Mm. Uh, the elements will melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up. Okay, for the futuristic seven-year tribulation to exist. Mm-hmm. You have to have people alive on earth. You have to have the Antichrist alive on earth after Jesus comes like a thief in the night. Mm-hmm. So let's reread this verse. It's just like, if somebody has an explanation for this verse, I'd like to hear it. 1-800-324-843. Seriously, guys. The Bible says, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in the witch. Mm. In other words, in that day, the day that he comes as a thief in the night, the heavens will pass away with a great noise. Okay, if uh, the atmosphere disappears from this earth and you survive that, you've done pretty well. Mm. Then it says <laughs> the elements will melt with fervent heat. Okay, so not only does the atmosphere vanish from planet earth, mm-hmm. the entire surface of the planet is turned to molten lava. <laughs> and you're going to survive this. And the vast majority of the population of the world is going to survive this. In fact, when this happens, you know, all that's going to, all that's going to notice is you're going to notice that a bunch of people have just been raptured. That's the only thing you actually see. Mm. Well, you miss something pretty big if you miss the atmosphere disappearing and the surface of the earth turning to molten lava. Um, Man, it's... And then it says it burns everything. Naturally, if the surface of the earth is molten lava, there's nothing left. Mm. That's what the Bible says will happen when Jesus comes at the thief in the night. I don't need to give you any other verse. I give you a whole bunch of verses when we come back on Monday. That's what we're going to do. But I've given you one verse right there. That's all that you need. Anyway, this is the Forbes family. The Forbes family with These Are They. Praising God and the divine. These are 
fantastic food, fun, friends and fellowship? Sure do. Then join us at the Philos Food Hub. For $5, you can receive a large food pack with free fruit and veggies thrown in and a complimentary breakfast as well. Wow. Where? At the Adventist Church on Newcastle Road, Walls End, number 63. Is that the big iconic A-frame church near the roundabout? Sure is, and it starts 10 a.m. every Thursday. Great. I'll see you there. Happy Hearts is a free community craft program for kids aged 1 to 5 designed to encourage growth and creativity through Bible stories. Join us each Tuesday during the school term from 9.30 till 11am at the Senior Citizens Hall, 401 Warburton Highway, Wandon North. For more information or to register, go to happyhandsart.com.au forward slash happyhearts or contact Patricia on 0425 854 516. That's 0425 854 516. Happy Hearts. Free fun for kids and the mess stays with us. Listening to Faith FM, positively different radio.
for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some loudest sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it. Mount of Thy redeeming love. Here I raise mine Ebenezer, hither by Thy help I'm come. You're listening to Jessica Clark with Come Thou Fount here on 
Faith FM, we've come to question of the daytime. Lawson, what do you got for us? Yes. Okay. Question of the day. We've had this one come in in relationship to what we're talking about. We're talking about the seeker rapture and you were quite... Uh, oh, I told I told everybody, give us a call, 1-800-324-843. If you can find a verse in the Bible that says that the return of Jesus will be secret, silent and invisible. Quite boldly, uh, quite boldly putting it out there that uh, yeah, the, the, there isn't a verse in the Bible, but... I've been, putting, I've been putting this question out for the last 25 years, so I'm pretty confident. Okay, well, here we go. Nobody's come up with one yet. Lyle. Yes. Matthew chapter 24. Oh, you've come up with one. Verses 40 to 43. Is that describing the seeker rapture? Good question. Good question. All right, here Glad we go. Glad you asked. He, he's flicking the pages. Here we go. He's All right, so let's read what the, what the Bible says, and let's not read what the Bible doesn't say. Then the Bible says, Then shall two be in the field, one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know at what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, if the good man of the house had known in what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have allowed his house to be broken up. Okay, where in that passage does the Bible say that the return of Jesus Christ will be invisible? Um... Like it doesn't like nowhere. Where in that verse does the Bible say that it will be silent? Oh, it really doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It says that two people will be standing side by side when Jesus comes back and one's saved and one's lost. It does say that. Mm-hmm. It also says that Jesus is coming back like a thief. Mm-hmm. And people just jump to the conclusion that all thieves operate secretly, silently, and invisibly, <laughs> except that. That's not true. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me think of how many different examples of theft I can give you that do not include being secret, silent, and invisible. Uh, let me start with ram raids. Yeah. You know, get a truck, back it through the front of a jewelry store, jump out, fill the truck, drive off. Mm. That's not secret, silent, and invisible. And I might point out that this thief, when he turns up, breaks up the whole house. Mm. That's not secret, silent, and invisible. There's nothing here in this passage that indicates secret, silent, and invisible. Let's notice what the passage does indicate. Two people standing side by side, one saved, one lost. The Bible indicates that. Um, The return of Jesus Christ coming back unexpectedly. The Bible says that. Jesus coming back like a thief. The Bible says that. It just does not say what kind of thieving operation it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now that we've got that as a basis, we need to ask ourselves the question, what is Jesus actually talking about? And if we go over to the book of Luke, we find that Jesus clarifies those first couple of verses where he talks about two people being in the house. So just very, very quickly, flicking over to Luke chapter 17, I think it is. Are we going for time? Yeah, we've got some time there still. The Bible says, this is this is Luke's version of the same... Um, the same sermon, two women, this is verse 35, chapter 17, verse 35. Two women shall be grinding together, one will be taken, the other left. Two men shall be in the field, one will be taken, and the other left. And his disciples ask him, where are they going to be left? Mm. You know, what condition are they left in? And he says, wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Mm. Jesus is crystal clear that the lost are dead when this event takes place. Mm. And then we come back to the concept of a thief. The Bible doesn't say what method Jesus comes back with as a thief because we find that 
thieves use a multitude of different methods. Mm. We have to ask ourselves the question, what is Jesus trying to communicate here? Is he trying to communicate secret, silent, and unseen, or is he trying to communicate unexpected? Let's read the verse before where it says, Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Let's read the verse afterwards. Therefore, be you also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man does come. What is the context telling us here? The thief is all about being unexpected. Let's go down to verse 50. The Lord of that serpent will come in a day when he looks not for him. Let's go down to uh, the next one in verse uh, 13, chapter 25, verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the hour nor the day wherein the Son of Man comes. Let's go back a few verses. It says it will be like the days of Noah. And it says that the flood came and they were not expecting it. The entire context emphasizes the fact that when Jesus talks about a thief, he is talking about unexpectedness, not a secret rapture. i 
Welcome back to Faith FM. We have come to the end of our show where we give something away. And that's exactly what we're going to do. Of course, we've been having a fantastic time today talking about Bible prophecy. It's, oh, we it's, have. It's relationship to um, what's going on in our world today and how we should interpret that. So I decided that we would give away just an absolute classic. A banger. Uh, something that is so fitting for this topic. And this book is called The Great Controversy. This is an amazing, amazing, amazing book. Yes. It, <laughs> yes. It, it is directly, you know, involved in this. We've been talking Came about it. Came out two years before the Schofield Bible. Oh, there you go. <laughs> do 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 <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so this book, of course, we've been talking about the book of Daniel, how it's centered in the great controversy itself, which is the war between good and evil, between, um, you know, Christ and Satan. And we've been talking about how, you know, we can see that implicated not only in the book of Daniel, but the interpretation of the book of Daniel. And the great controversy is just a book about... Um, all about the apocalyptic end-time prophecies of the Bible and how they've related to the real events that have happened through history. So if you want this book, if you want to get up to speed with you know just some awesome, awesome Bible prophecy, if you, and if you want some, a look and some insight on the things that we have to come, um, please give us a call 1-800-324-843 and you can win that completely for free. There you go. That's the number to call, 1-800-324-843 or text us on 0491-064-669. And you can get your copy of The Great Controversy for free. Interestingly enough, the author of that book, Ellen White, said that the time was to get it out, but they waited two years. And by the time they waited two years before they published it, it was too late. Anyway, don't forget to talk faith, live faith, act faith, and you will grow strong in Jesus Christ. Truly blessed 
to him Ye heavy laden Sinner weak Tempest tossed And he will bear Your heavy burdens He came to seek And save the lost As the sunshine It fills the morning As the Great to receive 